Hello and welcome to episode number seven of Jacked Radio. Today I'm speaking with my friend and physiotherapist at Pioneer Performance, Ryan Duncan. Me and Ryan go back a while now and we used to work together when we were both based out of a different gym and Ryan is a really, really knowledgeable bloke and I've seen him grow in terms of his knowledge and his skills as a practitioner over the years since we've known each other. The reason I wanted to get Ryan on today was to speak about pain science and how we can perhaps understand pain a little differently and understand it a little better. Now I'll fully admit right from the off that this one completely blew me away in terms of how knowledgeable Ryan is about pain and how he's actually grown as a practitioner since we've known each other. So I'm going to let Ryan do the talking here, enjoy the episode, and please welcome onto Jack Radio, Ryan Duncan. Just quickly before we get started, at some points the connection dropped a little bit. Unfortunately, given the current circumstances, we're having to do all the podcast recording over Zoom. So please bear with us when that does happen, and if anything, it's just an excuse for us to get together to talk shop again, once we can reopen the gym and actually meet in person because this was an absolute pleasure to have him on the show today so again apologies for any drops in signal but please do enjoy the episode about pain science with ryan duncan first off uh thank you very much for coming on the podcast ryan i know we've we've spent a lot of time talking in person obviously over the years so it's it's really good to have you on to just share some of your expertise and your your journey to talk about what we're going to talk about today um for just anyone listening, could you tell us a bit more about yourself, um, a bit about your journey into physiotherapy and strength training and what your current role is right now? Yeah, sure. Um, my name's Ryan Duncan. Uh, so I started off uh, doing sports science at uni. Um, after that, worked in various parts of health, I guess. I did a bit of private work, a um, bit of coaching, uh, went into the military um went through my teacher training and then finally ended up in, in physio so quite a long path to get there uh a lot of the stuff that I'd done kind of led to that point um which I'm very grateful for in terms of experience but it's been uh I guess I, I retrained a few times it's been quite a long process in getting there um at the minute well in the last year I've just left the NHS I'm now working in, in private MSK or, or musculoskeletal uh, physio kind of my uh brief history i guess wicked what what was it that um that made you retrain into physio in the first place uh i wasn't too, i was one of those people who just kind of yeah changed jobs a lot did a lot i wasn't really settled in anything but i think everything sort of pulled together in a sense so i did a bit of caring so i kind of had that side of things i'd done a bit of work with booper uh i worked as a coach i'd worked um so the military side, I was kind of the uh, fitness instructor and stuff in the unit. And I'd done a lot that led me to the point where I think I was coaching, uh, I was running the CrossFit gym, coaching in CrossFit gym. Uh, and I, think I was kind of like, this all came together quite nicely, but I was like, how can I change these things? People were complaining about stuff that I was like, uh, I'm, I don't know now. And then I guess when I started to look into it, applied on a bit of a, bit of a whim, thought to old and yeah, took, took, the, took the offer straight away. So because and i guess the main thing you know the main thing that we're going to talk about today is trying to understand pain a little more and 
you know, some of the reasons, some of the, sorry, some of the ways that in which you, you kind of approach that in, in your work, um, but also maybe rethinking some of the ways that we, we understand perhaps how pain actually works uh, as a mechanism and how we can maybe rethink how we, you know, apply like long-term uh, planning and thinking to this as well. So just to start with, obviously we've spoken a lot about understanding pain um, in conversations we've had and exploring some of the reasons behind why it might be there. Yeah. Could you, could you just kind of talk us through what the, what the process is like for, for someone coming into to seeing you for the first time? Like where do you begin and how do you start working through like possible causes of pain and like moving forward with it? So I guess your, your process on helping someone understand what's going on right now. Yeah, I think like we've talked about before, it's a pretty uh, big area. Um, yeah. So I'll try and be as brief as possible. I guess the the main thing we're trying to do with people um, when they come in that door is find out what's brought them in, um, which can be quite a big history for, for people, um, given the amount of things that can contribute to pain um, and, and modulate it. So we take a massive history, or we should be taking a massive history <laughs> for uh, everyone, but the the subjective history is the first part where we're trying to get to know that person as best we can. And most of that information should be coming from them. We should basically be listening and uh, using a few skills to kind of guide the um, the questioning if needed or, or the, the history taking to where we need to if, if it's something we might be worried about. So I guess the medical side of things, looking at ruling, well, we can't officially rule everything out uh, or anything out, but it's a process of elimination to see how worried are we about this person? Uh, is there anything we need to refer on for? Um, when, if and when we've done that and we're not worried about anything medical or anything concerning, we then look at, uh, well, they would be called red flags. There's a lot of other flags as well. And we look at, all the different colored flags, which might be related to um, the sort of mental health of somebody, the psychological well-being of somebody. It could be anxiety and depression. It could be related to, you know, things as bad as losses in the family, abuse, addiction. Like there's anything in people's history, basically, that can affect their uh, mental health, their vulnerability, their work status, whether they're in work or out, if they enjoy their job or not. What, what job do they do? Uh, are they getting compensation for, for what's going on. All these things have been shown to have links to pain. So we need to try and get a picture of that person. I, I guess that's the short answer is paint the best picture um, and then fill in the gaps if we need to. Um, from there, if we're not worried about anything in terms of medical stuff um, and we need to do any objective testing, which would be the physical side of things, we're trying to it's really hard to say determine where the pain's coming from but I think a better idea from the history which is most of the information we might then do something like nerve testing we might test the function of that nerve through various things uh, you might have had things like reflexes done before you might have your sensation tested and power tested um, what, what we're checking there is are we worried about the health of someone's nerve is there anything again underlying in in um, relation to their nervous system um, and after that it's pretty much a case of we might have a better idea of where in the, in, in, in the area of their body 
that is sore, but a lot of the testing from there doesn't really give us too much more information. It's, um, I think from the tests that they do, uh, so orthopedic tests um, might be what people have heard, but when you have manual testing done, I think there's only four tests that came out of the hundreds of tests that there are that are valid enough, you know, to give us a, I guess, 100% confidence to rule something in or out. There's not many tests. So we have to use those as best we can to then give the patient all the information and then it's about management options and developing a plan. That's kind of our, uh, I guess, the process we would go through within physiotherapy. Cool. So it's uh, kind of going from the big picture and then working to the smaller kind of points from there? Uh, I would probably say no in that I, uh, the, we talked about like the biopsychosocial framework <laughs> and those uh, types of things where we are considering everything that's going on with that person and, uh, you know, inside their body, outside in their life, everything that can influence them. So if we have that narrow view where we go down into a single structure, we're potentially then negating all those other things. And I think that's probably the biggest change I've had where I got drawn into that mechanical side of things. Uh, and that's the bio element of it, that, that mechanics, the biology, you can get very drawn into, you know, it's this tissue and um, it, it, there's so many other things that can influence it um whether that tissue is actually injured or not do we need to worry about that um people can have a massive injury and you know the what might seem pathological on tissue on imaging you know might not present the same way in clinic so yep. uh becomes a bit of a um bit of a brain fuck sometimes so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know with all the different things that can influence it but yeah, we, we, we might narrow down um uh, I think an example, if we're worried about uh, a very specific thing and we're trying to rule that in or out, we might do some tests to say, you know, we're not worried about this part of your body uh, for this condition. So we might do some tests where we narrow down to that to say, don't worry. I guess the nerve function would be an example. Yeah. People people that have back and leg pain or, or really bad leg pain, arm pain, is it related to the neck and the back? We need to check the health of their nerves. So we might do tests that say, you know, we've done this batch of tests based on the numbers that we've got from the data. We can say with this much confidence that there's no sign of any injury to the nerve, you know, loss of function, sorry, loss of function. There might be um, previous injury or injuries there that aren't presenting in certain ways, but, you know, we might use that as an example. But then, well, then we move on to deal with everything else that's going on and basically try and make their life as good as we can with okay. the that we've got. So it's... Um... It's very much not not narrowing down on the one thing and actually taking the whole picture into account in terms of moving forward with with the kind of, I guess, um, helping someone understand and manage and hopefully improve their their experience of pain. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, a good word there. I think the experience, like the uh, the NOI group, um, are quite famous for their book Explain Pain. It's a really good um, resource for clinicians clinicians, patients, anybody uh, interested in that. Um, but then the explain pain part of it, I think it's we, we know a lot more to help people now, but we don't really understand it fully. I think it's such a complex thing that we won't ever you know, know everything about it. But the, um, I think trying to help people understand their experience 
you know give it some context is probably a better way of looking at it but um yeah they 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 have a, a very good resource called explain pain which there's a lot more coming out now where um trying to get people to um understand their experience at the time and then tailoring everything to them so I've had people walk in the door and they are not interested in knowing what's going on. They just want a very specific program. They want a very specific treatment. Um, it's questionable then, is it our job to change their mind, you know, to educate them? Is it, is it our job? I would probably be on the side of yes, but some people it might not be needed. You might give them what they want and because they want it, they believe it's going to help them. It might do. Um, and a lot of these treatments that are slated, there's a lot more that might help that person get better. Um, it might just be time, but it might be all the other beliefs that they have. So what, you know, if it helps them get better, if we educate them or not, they're still better. Yeah. Um, so I, I get, you know, there's a lot of ways you can argue it, but um, everything comes down to the experience of that person, previous experience of physio, previous experience of anybody, family, friends, coaches. Um, it can be, it can be anything at all um their medical history uh their understanding of pain all that stuff then we have to look at that in that appointment time and say well yeah this is what we could do what would you like to do i might say not interested in that just this they might be like yeah i i don't really know so and then we go down to the kind of education side of things where we use resources and uh our daft analogies whatever it might be to try and get that person to think oh shit yeah i, I you know i did this the other day uh, it's overloaded uh, the tendon because I had a few weeks off and, and it's a bit sensitive now. Um, you go down all the kind of research into tendons and the management of it and they walk out the door and they're like, yeah, you know, I think I can, I can deal with this. Um, I've, I've got a plan and I've got an understanding. That's for me what I'd like. That person walks out the door and they're like, yeah, no, I know uh, a bit more. I have better understanding. Uh, I know what's out there in terms of my management. I've been part of the decision-making process. Um, I trust the person that I've just seen, you know, good relationship with them, all that kind of thing. Um, and then they might come back, they might be better, you know, who knows from there. It's quite an exciting journey, but yeah. and I think um thinking about it like a journey is is probably something that is quite prevalent in in terms of um I guess my the part of the the kind of health and fitness world that I'm involved in, there is a lot that gets spoken about that, but potentially not with or you know hopefully it's getting spoken about more in terms of working with a with a physio that that is it's the case that it is a journey it's not you go in a plaster gets put on and you get you know sent out the door with rotator cuff exercises but you know a better understanding of you know what's happening and i guess the the kind of the potential route forward for you um yeah. and and just in that regard i know we 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 kind of briefly touched on you know the fact that everyone's experience of this will be different depending on their history coming through the door. But we, we spoke about uh, last time we caught up, um, obviously off recording, about understanding pain as uh, as the signal it is. So yeah. we we kind of spoke about how pain's communicated and feedback loops and that it's um, we, we can see it as a signal, um, but also the importance of where a physio can can kind of highlight where that might be something that needs to be referred out so could we could we kind of go into that a little more about like understanding pain as the signal and what's actually the the process of i guess pain being identified within your body if you can yeah. kind of elaborate on that a bit 
absolutely. Um, so the, I guess the first thing that um, we've, we've got going on all the time is is input into the body. So all of our senses, um, everything that goes on around us, we've got constant, if we say an ecosystem inside our body, everything is kind of going on all the time. Our processes that keep us alive and that go on around us, they're always ongoing. And that feeds input into the body in various ways. Um, and so if we imagine we've got uh, various receptors in our body, uh, some of those receptors are called nociceptors, and they are kind of our potential um, harm receptors. So they're, they're not pain receptors, and the fibers aren't pain fibers. It was previously thought that was the case. But those receptors, as, as well as many others, are always firing messages up, and they can be at different levels. There's studies that have shown that uh, a lot of these receptors may be dormant at times and then they become more active and they, they kind of cross jobs and stuff at times. But we've always got these signals going in. Um, and uh, there's a really nice model that I thought I would use because uh, it's, it's a great model, but it's a nice one to understand as well uh, by Louis Gifford. And uh, his model is uh, sample, scrutinize and respond. So if we imagine our body, the the sampling part, is basically our messages that are constantly going in, just giving us an idea of what our environment is at the time. So noises, bright lights, you know, this starts to relate to hormones. You know, think about the, the light levels and our circadian rhythms. You know, if there's loud noises, are we scared? All these things kick off the reaction. And the things that might affect us in terms of pain, you know, we've got um, things like pressure, you know, we might have a, a stretch. So you're thinking about the types of injuries you might pick up. The, the environment you work in with training, you know, if you push the body hard enough, you might start to feel a bit more. So, you know, some people get horrendous doms, some people don't. That these are all sensations and stuff that we can, we can have. And they all feed up to the brain um, by various pathways. And the brain is basically the part of the body that uh, scrutinizes all the stuff. It, it decides what's kind of, going on at the moment and what it prioritizes things so if at the time there's a need for in in the in the brain's opinion which is its job is just like us so if there's a need for something there at the time the response might be pain one of the outputs of the brain might be pain and it's there to protect us so we don't ever want to be pain-free you know people say about being pain-free uh, i appreciate the context they're talking about but we don't want to be pain-free because it's there. There's all these different things we might feel that are signals like hunger. You know, you can you can have hunger signals and not need food. You know, you can have pain signals. I say that in this podcast in uh, kind of quotations. You can have these uh, outputs that are saying this is pretty sore, but it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with that part of your body. There may be, you know, there... Uh, if we think about, um, I'm just watching that Manchester City thing on uh, All or Nothing. So I guess I'll use football as an example. Um, whilst it's a bit dramatic, they have a knee injury and ankle injury and they're rolling around on the floor. Um, they may well have had, you know, an overstretched ligament from a rolled ankle. And what happens at that point is the, the speed of the stretch or the change in the tissue starts to send more messages up to the brain. 
And there's plenty of examples where people don't feel things at the time, but later on they start to then stiffen up, limp, and these things. And that can be because the the at the time the brain can kind of filter that out. There's descending pathways which allow us to modulate pain, and it sometimes we don't feel it. Um, other examples of wartime settings where they don't know they've been shot. The body's able to do that. I think is the is the point. Um, and there may well be changes at the tissue level. Uh, there may not be. So it is possible to have both. Uh, I guess that's where our job comes back in, where we're trying to determine, is this person safe to keep loading their body? Um, that's what we would try and do. We know a lot about healing stages and we try and line people up in terms of their history, uh, where they're at. Um, the, yeah, the, the model. So summary of that is a sample part, messages going in, brain uh, scrutinizes that. Is it a priority at the moment? Uh, and it responds. So it can respond in various ways. Pain could be one of those responses. I, I um, think that's a really nice way of of kind of framing the whole thing. And I think the the point you made about being pain free, um, I I can I'm completely with you on that. That I think it's within the context of you know um, in, in terms of someone's like training, someone's daily life, going about tasks that you know aren't stressful. I think you know yes, that's you know most of the time we want to be pain free but like you say understanding it as a signal is the important part of that where actually that's it, it's something that our brain is telling us and it's a it's a signal to be interpreted uh, rather than a uh, you know all the time pain equals danger but like like you've just said i think that's where someone who has a greater understanding of things like history um in terms of like medical and personal history as well also like training history that's i guess where someone like yourself can put the put the big picture together for someone so they can better understand those those signals but i I really like that that model of how pain actually kind of you know flows through your body i guess yeah like the signals are always there um and so i think taking away the then that instead of pain signals just signals the yeah. signals are always there. Um, yeah, and it's just what's going on with our body. And it's really hard. I think some people struggle to get into their heads that, you know, I, I could just be vulnerable. Overall, as an, the, the model I use there, it's the mature organism model. But as an organism, as, our, you know, as we are, we can be vulnerable um, at different times for different reasons. And, and I think it's hard to just think, oh, well, I didn't sleep very well. So... I could be more sore. I, could, I know it's not as simple as that, but sometimes, you know, having, you know, walking out and being like, actually, I've got these three things that have changed in my life and it might be because of those things in combination, but we can never give an answer. You know, it's impossible to say, oh, it's exactly because of this. Uh, I know obviously trauma is is more obvious, but um, I think when a lot of people come in, they haven't had that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. The the other thing I wanted to add to that you said about pain not equaling harm. Uh, uh, we said about people being injured with pain without pain, or not injured and having pain and no pain. So I think that's the kind of uh, brief. We talked about quartiles, didn't we? People with yes. good coming in, uh, and that sort of pain doesn't equal harm. So I put I put a few sort of um, 
brief bits of like research together that just shows that uh, there's a lot of asymptomatic imaging coming out now, research around that. So a uh, study by uh, Burrito et al. in 2019 it was. So they did, um, they took MRIs of people uh, with unilateral shoulder pain. So one side, they had some shoulder pain. And in most people, the findings were present in both shoulders. So what, what we would see on a scan, you know, what um, sort of potentially pathological is in both sides and they've only got pain in one. And so all these things are starting to come out where we're like, well, what does that mean for people and what does it mean? Uh, there's a lot of twin studies. Another one uh, where they've looked at people, uh, uh, twins in different jobs, manual jobs, uh, people with sedentary jobs, and they have pretty much the same uh, back scans, you know, in terms of degeneration. Uh, again, I've put that in kind of quotations because that now we thought it was a, a big driver of pain and actually it can be a very normal age-related change. But it's hard when people have that scan in front of them and they're saying, well, I've got this and this, and they've, they've used these words. Um, I've got a big section on the kind of influence of that stuff later, but uh, yeah, uh, uh, another one in terms of knees, um, they looked at, uh, I guess, OA uh, in knees is a, is a quite a big worry for a lot of people. They get x-rayed. They've got this x-ray saying you've got degeneration. That's the cause of your pain. Uh, 2019 again a study was done where they took people and put them through a four-month standard marathon training program they MRI'd them before and after um, and they found no difference in the prevalence of muscle um, lesions and stuff and they actually found uh, 10 lesions on the tibia improved nine in the femur improved you know there's I think there's another um, paper in the BMJ that did they broke it down into all the different types of uh, pathology they might have in the knee. And a lot of them, you know, edema, you know, in the bone and subchondral lesions, all these things were getting better. Uh, and so, yeah, you might have all those things on a scan, but it might not be painful. So <laughs> it starts to really open up the kind of depth and complexity of, of you know, pain. Um, but it's quite cool when you see stuff like that in terms of all the studies that are coming out. Yeah, and I think that's like you like you kind of mentioned before that that's why it's important to see the you know both parts of the biopsychosocial model of of pain that it, it's not just the mechanics of what's going on, but there there yeah. could you know potentially be other things involved in a person's experience of pain too. Um, just kind of moving moving on to a little, something a little bit more specific that, that we've spoken about. We we talk about sort of big blocks and like simple fixes with movement and something that we've spoken about is you know changing someone's experience of pain with movement and looking at someone's potential path forwards in improving that as potentially a combination or focusing on one or more of you know correctives programming lifestyle change those sorts of things. How do we start looking at the, I guess, kind of the, the big blocks of, of kind of taking care of our movement, but also potentially like the, the simple fixes that I guess might go along with that. Yeah. Um, so to, let's have a thing where to start with that. Cause it's quite a, could be quite a big one as well. Um, I've really dropped you in it with that one. <laughs> yeah. so movement again, another big thing, isn't it? You know, it's becoming, 
become more and more people that are movement therapists, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, we talked to I before them. We, you know, we, when we used to work together back in the day, it was something that I was uh, wanting to do more and more of. And I kind of fell into that trap of being very narrow-minded about it. And I'm very fortunate in that I was pushed into everything else that we're talking about today. Uh, and it really allows me to use that. And so, uh, how, like, how would I use it with people? Um, if, if, if we've got that, if we, we use that model we talked about where we've got somebody that is, that is in pain and they've got some sensitivity in their body, um, whether they're there or not, the body will develop these feedback loops that we talked about. And that loop then can be modulated by lots of things. And movement can be one of those things that we use to modulate it. Uh, we always want people to move. That's the kind of primary thing for our job uh, because it, it, it's so you know uh, prevalent in life. We need to move about and people love exercising. So to get them back to that, we can use adjuncts to our treatment so an example might be massage if you do a massage to someone without getting into the intricacies of that you can change that feedback loop albeit for a transient period it can get better it can feel better and we've probably all experienced that a good night's sleep can do the same painkillers lots of stuff so we break that feedback loop and we get them moving and what that can do is um i guess change that feedback loop because you're moving with maybe less pain, no pain. And and we had an experience of that where you had some knee pain. We gave you some movements that were uh in short uh, it was it was varied. You're doing something different and it, it helped settle that. Uh the knee pain at the time was better and then later on settled. So we can use movement in that way where we can look at somebody who might be holding themselves differently. Um we can't assume that that position is the cause of their pain because it's too complex, but it might be that they've adopted that in an adaptive posture. They've adapted to their pain. It might be a maladaptive thing. It might've been there for a while um, because of pain. We don't know. So if it's a short adaptive thing, short term adaptive thing, it will likely go away as the pain gets better. But in the short term, we can change that as well. So we could make that pain less feel better um, and they might move differently that breaks the cycle. They might have a better night's sleep because they're in less pain, breaks the cycle again, and then they get up and they do more and more of their daily activities and all these things perpetuate, they might get better. So we might just give some simple exercises where we get them moving slightly differently for a short while and the pain goes away. Um, and a lot of people will go through that process. Very simple, something different. Um, the... Uh, I guess the complexity comes when you've got somebody doing a, you know, a, uh, playing a sport maybe that's got some complexity to it. Something like, um, you know, they might be doing, I guess your example is powerlifting. You might be getting somebody that's moving a lot of weight. Uh, as the skill comes more complex, you want less variation with it, I guess. Um, you want to be doing something very specific. So we might then look at uh, what we sort of minor gains. We might change that movement um, by uh we we talked about squatting didn't we so we talked about instability in a foot if uh if you're squatting heavy weight you want a uh you want a locked supinated foot because it's more stable it's a lever a rigid lever to push off so the mechanics we might look at that if it's different side to side if they're in pain at the time we can we could change it and make it better but we would i would likely look at that 
in terms of performance rather than pain, but it could be used for both. Yeah. So you might get them lifting more because they've got a more stable platform. And an example of that is a weightlifting shoe. Mm-hmm. So it's a solid, stable shoe. Uh, so it, it, it can help in terms of performance. Yeah. The I think the, the point I would make on the movement side of things um, is that there's not there's not an optimum movement in general. You know, the, yeah. there's a lot of research into posture we, we talked about before. You know, is it good? Is it bad? There's not, a, there's not a good or bad or an optimum. It's more about the overall vulnerability of that person. If they're spending hours and hours doing nothing and they're in a certain posture, then it's the stuff surrounding that that they're not doing very much is likely to be, you know, contributing. Um, moving in and out of a posture is more important, whether that's short term for a task like uh, you know a sport or day to day by going running and moving the body you know going for a walk and moving the body uh, that can all be part of our prescription in terms of exercise so i guess like people could almost see you do you touched on like the specificity with a sport like powerlifting but if we look at someone's daily movements you could also see specificity in like a desk a desk job if that's a, a posture or a movement that someone's doing a lot of very often that's you know that's also specificity in it in a sense and that kind of looking at you know perhaps more variability of movement and kind of I guess accessing that a little bit more um could be a, a you know a beneficial thing to just add to I, I guess just to to reframe the way that people think about what is specifics and what is not yeah absolutely yeah no the the guy i think i would use referencing this is, is ben cormack uh he's his company's core kinetic he mm-hmm. does a great job with this you know he him and, and greg layman's another one about you know movement optimism it's uh it's sort of like you said reframing it um they've got a few uh again a few studies that they use to talk about this um where um I won't go through the names. In 2011, it was kind of defined uh, movement variability as uh, the normal variations that occur in motor performance across multiple repetitions. So everybody will do a task in different ways when looked at. And the studies, uh, Barton did one in 2015. Um, this was healthy people walking and everybody walked differently when they re- when they repeated the task. Uh, that was, I think, looking at the foot when they when they measured it, the, the kinematics of the foot. Uh, another one in 2011. This was uh, people after rehab, so they'd, they'd done their rehab program. When you would expect them to then move better, move optimally, the you know the graphs were different every single time they did the task. This was after rehab. Uh, there was another one um, where they did. Uh, d- d- I think it was post um, post surgery. Uh, there was another one. Again, the variability was, you know, every single person, every single time they did it. So inter and intra uh, variability within the task was all different. So it just shows that there's no optimum. Um, and I think that um, the way that would be summarized then, the sort of, again, I'm using this, and I know we're not on video, but correct movement in quotations would be having variation. So doing, doing things uh, differently, um, different movements, different patterns, different skills, the variability then, the ability to adapt. So you put someone in a different position, how do they cope with that? And that comes down to their capacity. So this is where the programming comes in. You know, you look at somebody in terms of the programming, are they able to tolerate 
heavy loads, speed? Have they got stretch shortening cycle plyometrics in their programming? Have they not? What's their stability like in terms of their foot? Because they need to be pushing on a pedal on a bike. They need to be squatting heavy. Do we, do we have that? Do we want it? Do we want a, a foot that flattens? It depends on that person, but it's about tolerance and capacity for that task. So if you have somebody that wears support in their shoes, then you take away their support. They're not likely to have capacity to that. But if you then examine them in clinic and you say, oh, it's because your foot's flat, it's just, just not that simple. But you could use that information to change things that the experience for that person could be changed based on that information um, and using movement programming and all that stuff tied together, you know, it could be, could be useful for them. Yeah. And I, I guess, uh, so an example I can give to, you know, may, maybe, um, I guess, shed light on, on, you know, my, I guess my experience, cause it's been something that I've, I've done recently with, uh, with my coach and with talking to yourself that, you know, I was experiencing some hip pain, we both know from working together that I um, I tore my ATFL, uh, one of the ligaments on the outside of my left ankle, and um, I've tended to notice that my left foot, uh, so my arch drops a lot more than the right foot on the left-hand side. So it's been something I've been aware of. I was getting this hip pain, but I'd also recently changed from squatting once a week to squatting three times a week. Yeah. And the volume was actually lower than before, but all of a sudden this um, sensation, which I've had a few times from training, um, came back again. But we didn't just change one thing. So we we looked at the, the kind of the whole big picture that was going on. I could probably have been going to bed earlier, but when I was going to bed, I was getting some bother from my hip, which you kind of, you picked up on briefly there. So yeah. when we changed the frequency of how often I was doing that movement and introduced some different movements into training, and by the end of the week, there was um, less of an intense pain sensation. So I was sleeping better, but we also took a bit of a specific look at what I was doing with my feet. So I looked at some kind of foot mechanic stuff. So you've got, you know, a change in something very specific there in terms of movement mechanics, also the programming side of it. But then also a big element was how all of those were impacting in terms of like my lifestyle as well, because I was sleeping better. So I felt better when I woke up in the morning. So I was less focused on what was going on at my hip because the whole thing started kind of clicking together. So yeah. I think interestingly, we, we, we spoke about this kind of post hoc fallacy that A equals B, which was yeah. for a long time, my understanding of pain is caused by incident A yeah. and leads to sensation B. Yeah is definitely something that has changed over the years for me, um, you know, through talking, through talking to yourself. And I think that's, it was a, a good example of how that's, it's not necessarily the case. Yeah. Um, I mean, is there any, is there anything that you can kind of, you can kind of elaborate on in terms of that, that kind of A equals B mentality? Yeah, I think it can be, I suppose you can put anything in, uh, you know, into A. You know, you could take any type of therapy. You could take any, uh, you know, people always joke about snake oil. You know, you could take anything. I did this. Uh, it got better. It's very much, you know, spacious reasoning. Um, it, just because this this happened and this happened, it doesn't mean they're, they're well, I suppose they'll be linked to a degree potentially, but it doesn't mean it caused it. So manual therapy is a huge one that's debated within our, 
kind of profession. Uh, physio is very heavily manual therapy based, uh, you know, decades ago. It's still used now a lot. Um, you know, it comes down to people's needs, expectations, profit, all this stuff, why it's used. But in case, in terms of the sort of post hoc fallacy, you get rubbed by someone, you know, the, the intricacies of manual therapy, they're not that specific. The research has shown it. If people disagree, then they need to read the research better because it's a very general response from your body. Uh, it can work for people. I'm not arguing that, but it's the, the specificity of it. It's not there. So you go in with something, you just get manual therapy. And like you said, you feel better. So you sleep better. And your body sensitivity just from all that can drop massively. But you wake up and you're like, massage, it's a massage. You know, it's easily done and it can be attributed to anything. You know, I, I took turmeric, I, I sorted it out, you know. And people, my elbows. Yeah, people have all sorts of stories and stuff. And uh, yeah, I think manual therapy is a really big one. You know, you get some joints cracked and that's it it's back in place and and that's made my pain better but there's far more complex mechanisms at play there um which i guess links to the that we talked about the biopsychosocial thing like the amount of evidence there that shows um i'm just gonna flick through and go through it because i some i tried to kind of pick a few bits but uh 2014 they looked at um people's beliefs around back pain uh, 60% of people uh, involved think that pain with activity should be avoided. So you've got people who need to move and 60% of them think that they shouldn't be moving because of pain. Straight away, they're like, nah. 60% think that uh, the risk of exercise outweighs the benefit. You know, And so in our jobs, both of us, you know, it's a massive priority to get people exercising. Um, and the... They found that uh, single, the single most effective pain reliever is self-efficacy. So people believing they can get better, you know, uh, that they have, yeah, I guess, locus of control is, is separate. But them feeling that they can get things will get better. That's the, you know, can be the sig- single biggest pain reliever. So just by by using manual therapy, you can show that to them. But it's about violating their expectations in that my God, this pain is so bad, it's here to stay. I'll uh, just do this little manual therapy, like, oh, it's gone. And that that's your way in to educate them about how pain works and understanding that a bit more, uh, rather than being like, okay, we need another six sessions of just that treatment. Mm-hmm. That does, you know, that's, it's not enough. Yeah. Um, not enough, but uh, a few other things that were, I guess, that highlight that, um, there's more and more research coming out in terms of the effects of words and language on pain. So Ritter uh, et al. 2019, they looked at uh, functional MRI of the brain um, and pain stimulus or stimuli with preceding words, neutral words, positive, negative. Um, Painful stimuli preceded by pain-related words evoked a stronger activation of the areas of the brain in that setting so you know just by saying different things your output is and therefore pain can change you know uh it's just mad when you think is it just as simple as a equals b or x equals y it can't be um sleep there's another one here we talked about sleep so 2018 they looked at the effects of it 
Um, they found that individuals have more pain after a bad night's sleep, less pain after a good night, as you said. However, the effects of a bad night was more powerful than the effects of a good night, which is a bit shit, but that's what they found. Uh, and then both the effects became stronger, whether it was positive or negative. If the insomnia severity was higher, uh, sleep was improved after a day with less pain. Um, I know you, you said your um, pain was better with more, with more sleep, but it didn't necessarily, um, pain didn't necessarily get better if the insomnia was that bad. So there's a point where if they're sleeping that little or the insomnia is that bad, you might not be able to get those benefits. So you might turn around and say to someone, oh, it's been shown you can have a 25% decrease in pain sensitivity from getting better sleep. But if their sleep's that bad, if you don't question it enough, you know, how much sleep are you getting? What's your sleep hygiene like? You know, finding out these things and they, they might turn around and say, I am not changing my sleep pattern. It's too shit. I, I can't get into that right now. You might have to try something else. But all these things show how your pain can be influenced but it gives us so many options which is the great thing you know and like you said something as simple as just getting good night's sleep few few pain uh few painkillers better sleep and things are already getting better uh, and that can be such a simple change but uh, for 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 us but a massive you know outcome for people and so it can have a huge influence on their life um and i think all the stuff that they've got in terms of research is just fantastic in, in changing people um stress is uh, that stress simply slows down tissue healing it, it's been shown that it's just straight away it slows it down um other things that they looked at factors um they, that they identified for people for worse outcomes over they looked at five years uh, higher baseline pain so if people are in more pain initially the outcomes are worse We've got the ability to in, to decrease the pain, and we've just said all those things that we could do for them. The longer duration pain, um, greater perception, pain will last a long time. Higher passive behavioural coping, so passive stuff would for us would fall into manual therapy. The more reliance on that stuff, uh, you know, over that five year period, the worse the outcomes could, could be for a population of people in, in the study. So it just again i think more and more layers of complexity but it can it doesn't have to be um complicated yeah a good history from someone give them options it doesn't have to be complicated but i think it shows the complexity of that just a few a few sort of snippets of research i guess um and something you said to me before this that resonated with me i, I think there's studies on this as well about uh gps paying attention to people and yeah. giving and giving them no time. The, uh, another paper from 2018 showed that just taking time to listen to, to patients uh, as what they believe, their beliefs around things, that's been shown to predict their outcomes better than getting a structural diagnosis. So big part of our job is diagnosing. If we, if we listen to them, we can have better outcomes than even diagnosing them. Mm -hmm. So just turns the whole thing on its head. You know, do you need a diagnosis? It depends. Yeah. But yeah, I remember what you said and I, I found that just to highlight that again. And I, I think the, one of the, one of the main takeaways I kind of got from, from speaking to yourself about this in, in understanding the whole thing better is that 
it it might be a um a complex picture but that doesn't necessarily mean you know your path forward has to be complex and i think taking that and looking at it as this is a good thing because it gives us so many options to to kind of look at how someone can progress and understand better and improve their experience of pain isn't just down to you know the movement they're doing it could also be down to um, removing some life stresses or improving sleep hygiene or you know any number of those things it could be some some manual therapy initially but I think that the important thing for for people to understand is that it is all it is all part of this of this big picture and that it nicely brings us on to the next point that I wanted to talk about because this is something that I speak about quite a lot and I've I've admittedly because I'm I'm not kind of plugged into a massive network of physiotherapists I, I do know a fair few around the local area but this this idea of principles versus methods is is very prevalent in especially nutrition science and training science um but when when we kind of spoke last time um last time we caught up it was something that i don't think i'd ever considered with physiotherapy as well that actually that's i guess that's the kind of way to look at this too is that there is there's principles involved rather than it just being the method you're using gets you to the point because i guess it would be very similar in someone saying well the only way to lose body fat is keto yeah yeah it's like someone saying well the only way to get out of pain is manual therapy yeah so could yeah. could you explain a little a little more i guess about you know the the i guess the principles of physiotherapy you, you've i mean you've touched on it really nicely throughout that throughout the whole chat already about looking at the big picture but is is there anything else that kind of stands out to you uh I, I, yeah just i think I'd, i have to agree in terms of the principal side of things the um the latest stuff that i've done with red pill uh training those guys you know resonates with them as well in terms of principles and the time i've spent with them that's kind of what they what they focus on so it's been it's carried over really nicely to this um or my side of the work but I think if if you've got science in front of you showing you, you know, in principle, this is what we know, this is what happens, uh, you know, go back to your, your different topics like biology and chemistry and physics, whichever area you're looking at, if it's the mechanics and the physics side of things, if it's the biology side of things, the chemistry side of things, whatever you're looking at, if there's those principles there, you know, you can you can use those to tailor your treatment to people. So I think an example would be uh, we talked about this, the sample scrutinized respond uh, model and how those feedback loops are there. You've then got manual therapy, which is widely argued. But if we use the principles of what we know about pain at the moment and what we know manual therapy does, we can use manual therapy to modulate pain for people in that short window and by doing that you know we can change that person's experience at that time and that's a buy-in for us and whilst it's i know people might disagree with buy-in but i think uh, i guess building rapport with somebody you know if they've come in and they can't lift their arm up and then suddenly they can that you know you, you've kind of I, I use this term before you violate their expectations they're like well what, what, what have you done and, and then questioning it is exactly what you want. You want them to question it and then you can try to help them along along the way. But um, I think if you, the more you know the research, the better your understanding of the principles, you've got 
a huge selection of things that you could then just apply to that. So it doesn't really matter if you use a various manual therapy technique. Uh, it doesn't matter if you change their movement. It doesn't matter if you sit them down and you explain every single detail to them or do all those things in combination. You will be influencing those principles. You know, it's modulating the pain in some way. And it's, it's, it's obvious that if you decrease someone's pain or give them the tools to do so, then, you know, that's what they want. They're going to feel better with that. Uh, alternatively, if you get them doing what they want to do with or, with or without pain, you know, you can, it's still an improved outcome. So, uh, you know, the, um, uh, the other side of terms of principles, what I was going to say there was, uh, there was an example, uh, from someone that w- was, uh, being coached, uh, in the Red Pulse uh, team and, and they were rotating on a deadlift, you know, so they just, they didn't change anything about the deadlift other than the foot position. They just got them deadlifting in a staggered stance, deadlift straightened up, you know, they're just, you know, in terms of a principle, they're moving a foot and they're putting a little bit more force through one side than the other. And it's straightened up. It, it, you might not have to change much about a person at all. Um, you might just change the foot position. And, you know, the principle behind that, it, the outcome is what you want. Uh, if you want them to be more straight in an exercise, for example, whatever you want that. But if you want them to move a different way, you can just change that, you know, put the force through differently and then they straighten up. And I just, from then on, I was like, it, it doesn't have to be all fancy exercises. You can still use the same compound exercises, but it might be that you do foot in, foot out. You know, you change your foot position. You know, it can be as simple as that based on principles. Uh, and that's what I guess great about it. Um, it. It makes it more simple. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, that's a bit really. I think you want it to be as simple as possible. And I, I think it's a, you know, a really nice, you know, summary of I guess the you know the the approach that you that you that you take with people that this is why it's so important that if someone is experiencing you know having a negative experience of pain that they do you know see someone like yourself who who understands it and understands the principles and can object or more objectively look at the big picture of what is happening right now and i think that something that you know again um really kind of resonated with me was the, the the actual listening to the person of what their experience of pain is like yeah because i do think it's something that you know potentially does get missed out sometimes is looking at that as as a as a big picture of that person's life rather than just let's find out what the point a was which brought you to point b yeah um and i think that that's a really nice place to wrap up actually if I'm, I'm, this may be a big question, so I'm going to drop you in it again. Um, if if there is a takeaway that you think people could get from this, what what I guess what would be the thing that you would <clears throat> that you would want people to take away in terms of like understanding their their experience of pain, or maybe thinking about their approach to pain in a more positive way? Don't fear it. You know, I, I think obviously there'll be people that are in pain with musculoskeletal issues that 
have other stuff going on and it's rare and that's what part of our job is and other professionals are there for but you know in general don't fear it you know it it's uh a lot of the time it's there and it's generally nothing to worry about and it's been shown to worry about it it gets worse so don't worry about it um see you know see somebody that you trust um i think build a relationship with somebody uh my biggest bugbear is that everybody is so different in terms of their training and their beliefs and stuff i just my idealist brain is like well why can't everybody be trained the same way and it's taken me so long just to get to the point where I feel better with all the information I've got in front of me to to help people out, uh, you know, I guess help people out better as well. But see somebody that you, you know, you trust. If you're not happy, go see someone else. Um, Things don't have to be complicated. Um, And I think that just have a look at your lifestyle, like anything that's going on, you can make changes. And the likelihood is, even if you don't know the principle behind what you're doing, it's probably going to have a positive effect if you follow some simple tips you know lifestyle tips get if you walk more if you don't do any exercise and you walk more you'd probably feel better for it um you know yeah you might overdo it and you might end up seeing it anyway but you're gonna have positive uh benefits otherwise um yeah i think if you're struggling with stuff if you do train and you exercise a lot and you're struggling with something that's niggling all the time that's ongoing and you don't know go and see someone you know whether it's you know, it might be a simple change in terms of your mechanics when you are doing a particular movement. Uh, someone like, uh, I guess, yeah, CrossFitters struggle a lot because there's so many different movements within the gym. You're expected to be mobile enough to get a bar overhead and stable enough to hold it there and squat down. Um, but you also need to be able to fling yourself around doing gymnastics and then mix them all together. It's, you know, you're asking a lot of your body and sometimes you just need a little bit of help but that might just be programming. It might not even be, I don't like separating them out because I like to do both, but you might not need physio. You know, if you're, if you're lying down on a couch and then expected to go and snatch, uh, then I'd probably go and see someone else as well. But, you know, it might just be programming changes. Um, and your, your, your therapy could be as close to the task that you want to do and should be. So if you're wanting to lift, um, it should be as close to lifting as possible. Uh, otherwise, you're going to get pretty bored and not do it. So you could be lifting at the same time, and we could make very small tweaks. Um, yeah, I think my my main thing is just don't fear pain. And if you're not sure, see someone about it. That's what we're there for. I really like that, man. And I'm glad you 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 made the point about doing some exercise versus not doing any because. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's actually a point that I, I spoke to my friend, um, Dr. Julian Donovan, who is, he's an emergency medicine doctor and okay. he is um, very much, you know, in line with, we spoke about this before, kind of blending the kind of world of physiotherapy and training. Yeah. And Julian is um, very much kind of pro blending medicine and um and you know training and fitness and taking care of the kind of um the 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 long-term picture taking care of that right now with what we're doing and our actions and taking care of our health first and not leaving it to the healthcare system to you know wait for the bad thing to happen and i think you know he was very much along the same lines of there is a there's a dose dependent you know 
positive relationship between not doing anything and just doing something yeah it's such a massive benefit to your life and that it for me you know it it does outweigh the the positives that you do get from exercise and training do outweigh any sort of risks and yeah i think you know if you do if you encounter some of those that's why it's important to to look at this as a big picture and and see someone like yourself and like you said don't be afraid of it happening and if it is and it's something you're unsure about then go and see someone you trust and i think that that's a really important message for uh, for everyone to take away so thank you very much for that no problem i think um i know you said we're going to finish the um you said about uh dose of exercise and the response and being in pain i think uh people don't know that their body is so capable of releasing incredibly strong painkillers you know really really strong painkillers and the when they've looked at all the different uh painkillers that can be released in the body um aside from dropping cortisol levels um in the long term your uh exercise sorry is the the, the common thing that releases all of these chemicals into your body um and if you're not doing any exercise like you say just by doing some you'll get a release uh i know it's it's looked it, it was looked at for sort of more chronic moderate aerobic activity but you'll get there but by doing it you know from starting from nothing and getting there you're getting all of these benefits of exercise and, and i think it's the yeah just go and do it don't be scared uh, there's always things you can change it's awesome. Well, look, mate, thank you very, very much for, for coming on today. It's always a pleasure to speak to you, but it's even more of a pleasure to share it with, with anyone listening to. Absolutely, yeah. And we'll catch up about uh, squatting stuff another time. Yeah, absolutely. Cheers, mate. See you bit. And what a fantastic message to end on from Ryan there. I really hope you all enjoyed that episode about pain science. Like I said at the start, it was a massive eye-opener for me. And the main thing that I wanted people to get was a deeper and better understanding of how the fact that pain isn't as simple as we might see and that even though it's more complex that gives us many many options and many roads to improve our experience of pain as always if you enjoyed it please share it with a friend i think this one is particularly useful for anyone who is experiencing any pain right now please like it please give it a download please give it a rating and we'll see you for the next episode soon